Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. We are in a three-part mini-series within the Sermon on the Mount series on prayer. What kind of prayer does God really, really want? This is the third part. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for the participation. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, you know, a lot of people are hearing this for the first time and, and scratching their heads going, is that right? Uh, I think it's really good news what we've been saying. I think I'm reading Jesus correctly. Um yeah, anyway, try it out, particularly with prayer. I think that's very, very important. So the point is this. Oh, and by the way, if I think it's a, this would be a great topic for small groups. There's three lessons, one, two, and three. It'd be great three weeks in your small group just to get people talking about praying and maybe exercising something a little different. And I'll share a couple of ways to do that at the end of this time, Okay. So, as I said last time, I think we Christians often veer into well-meaning prayerology. It's, a, again, well-meaning form of idolatry around prayer and praying. I am not saying that prayer is evil or wrong. No, of course not. Prayer is good and wonderful. And frankly, it's the first thing that your heart wants to do once you're saved, right? The joy, the gratefulness, and you want to thank God. Your words are uh, awkward and unsophisticated, and it's wonderful. Uh, you're you're newly in love. It's the initial fruit of the Spirit, prayer. The very first thing you say is not only holy, it's a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going to suggest that prayer today is also a, a fruit of the Spirit. We just have to uh, admit that we're not doing it the way it should be. Uh, we can't seem to do it that way. And then we ask the Spirit to make us do it correctly. I'll say more. So Prayer is just one of the fruits of the Spirit. All of them can become well-meaning idols, and our human bent is, a little or a lot, to take anything good of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and replace it with our own efforts. We like control, and how has that gone for us? So our prayers shift to becoming fruitless and disappointing and tiring. So let's see if we can begin to fix it. A very important gospel rant series on the Lord's Prayer. Look, you know someone who struggled with prayer, right? Or you have, if you're honest, or they may be too embarrassed or too ashamed to admit it, how poorly it's become, or someone who's prayed and prayed and prayed and got no answer from God, and they're frustrated and they feel like God hates them or that they hate God. I really think that these three podcasts could be helpful, maybe even healing. What do you think? Bill at gospel-app.com. So help us get the words out, pass it on to friends and relatives who struggle with prayer, Christmas be a great time, and maybe they will thank you. Okay? First, a word from our sponsors, and then back to the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. See you in a minute. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. 
Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, welcome back. Let's keep going. Jesus says, your kingdom come. This is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I think Jesus is not only just smirking, I think he's outright smiling. God is God, after all. And if anyone should get their way, it should be him. Why do we even need to say that? It's truth. But I want my midbrain, and often my prefrontal cortex, but my midbrain wants my will to be done too. And so my brain is created to, to make that happen. So even though this prayer is extremely kosher, your kingdom come, your will be done, the truth were known, I really want God's will to be done as long as it is in sync with mine. Does that make sense? So when Jesus prays, not my will, but your will be done, and he accepts the torture and death of Golgotha, right, Luke 22:42, we're exposed to a submission that we don't like. His submission takes our breath away and exposes ooh, our hatred for submission, our cowardice, our unbelief. See, my heart is just designed this way, and God created it. It naturally prefers, <laughs> all right, no, it demands that my own will be done. That's why I pray, in a sense, subconsciously anyway. And in our largely consumeristic society, we idolize our preferences. We often make them equal or greater than even God's. Submission is a very dirty, politically incorrect word in churches that pray this prayer regularly. It's the nature of our flesh. Our hearts naturally prefer that our will be done. Christian, when you pray this prayer, thy will be done, you're implicitly giving, no, explicitly giving God your immediate approval, not that he needed it, but you're, you're giving your approval for him to do anything that he may choose to do to you and with you. Are you with me? So what would you think if his will was to put you through great suffering, great disease, even death? What if he asked you to give all of your wealth away to your competitor or to your enemy? What if he causes the political candidate that you didn't support to be elected over yours? So you're okay with I will be done? Most Christians' hearts, I'm not. My, my heart pushes against that. It rails against that subconsciously, often consciously. Jesus is telling the truth about God's standards for his people in the Sermon on the Mount. The biblical standard is that those who are called by God, who are saved by God, rescued by God, adopted by God, we should be willing to obey him all the time, but we won't. So once again, we can submit 100% of the time, thy will be done, but we will not. Submission, this kind of submission, is a fruit of the Spirit. And there are people who hear that and cringe. It's so unwoke, to use a common sociological word today. Submission is a four-letter word. It's unwoke. Here's the thing. I get it. I mean, I'll be honest. Submission, particularly related to insensitive, oppressive, self-centered, unjust, uncaring, racist people, is destructive. And it should be avoided and torn down. I mean, we that's dangerous, right? But... 
submission to the God of gods who loves you so much that he sacrificed his own son for your benefit, for my benefit, and for our glory, ultimately. That's a great thing. But listen, listen, our midbrain can't distinguish between the two kinds of submission. Does that make sense? Does that ring true? It's God-created job, uh, my midbrain, is to protect me from harm so that it will resist submission to anyone, anytime, because it knows, it remembers that submission has brought great pain to me and to others. And like I said, it can't distinguish between submissions. That's the prefrontal cortex's job, but the midbrain has all of the chemicals. So the midbrain just reacts to protect me from harm, uh, right? So how then can we lean into a good submission? Once again, we can't. We won't. We haven't. Not really well. Until we need to access by faith through the Spirit and our inner being a power greater than the chemicals in our midbrain. Now, we can do that. How? We ask. That's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We've covered it so many times in Gospel Rant. So are we beginning to hear it a bit more? The right reaction to Jesus's, the Lord's Prayer, the how to pray is this. But Jesus, I I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to give up my will. I just don't seem to be able to do it, right? (laughs) And so the lesson is Jesus is teaching this as a rhetorical device. The unstated moral is... Jesus, his eyes are saying, look into his eyes, and he's saying to you in your frustration right now, you're holding your hands up in the sky going, I can't do this. He's, his eyes are saying, I know, that's why I'm here. Follow me. I've got this. Give us this day our daily bread. Here we go again. See, I wonder if by this point the crowd is chuckling because they're beginning to get it. I mean, do you and I, do, yeah, do you and I really mean to say this? God, I am so dependent upon you right now that I'm not worried at all about my next meal or the next or the next. I'm trusting in you so much. No complaints here. See, I don't even need to store up food anymore for my next meal or the next. It's hour by hour for me. I am at your disposal. I am depending upon your provision. This is so much fun. (laughs) No, who's saying that? Uh, you know, pantries and savings are good. They're not evil. But our hearts tend to idolize our storehouses, our wealth. Too often, we tend to depend upon our savings, our investments. They become gods. Uh, we depend upon our ability to provide for ourselves. That becomes a god, too, more than we daily depend upon God and his goodness. I'm just saying, right? It's a spectrum, but God requires 100% again. Or we get anxious and worried in economic downturns and inflation like recently or higher energy prices and we lose our joy uh, and we begin to question God. We feel like he doesn't love us anymore or he's out of control or we need to take more control, right? I'm, I'm, I'm saying that's not evil per se. It's human, it's human nature, even redeemed human nature. It's not living as if we really trusted God's provision for us, is it? And that's what we ask. Give us this day our daily bread. We rather tend to trust our own decisions, our own hard work, or the government's provision, right? Jesus lived, and those are good things, but Jesus lived a life that modeled, give us this day our daily bread, and that's ultimate dependence upon the care of the Father. That's the ultimate statement of trust, 
See, and like in other cases, we can say that, but we won't mean it. We can't mean it. There's something in our midbrain that just doesn't trust. We should living, we should live trusting God's provision, but we won't. We don't. How is it is it becoming clearer what Jesus is trying to get those hypocrites and the poor in spirit to see? Here it is. You're worse off than you could ever imagine. You thought you were bad. Oh no, I know your hearts. I know your midbrain. You need a rescue. You need a big savior. I've got some good news. You're going to learn that you can access such daily trust, uh, but it doesn't come from any muscle group you have. And it's not by working harder, not by saying certain words over and over. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, it's listed as faithfulness in most translations, but that's poor translation. It's pistis in the Greek, faith, trust. In the rest of Galatians, the same words used over 20 times, and we translate it just faith or trust. It's the power, the heavenly alien motivation to really live as if we counted on God's goodness. We won't get there perfectly this side of heaven, but we can ask for the fruit. And believe me, it it would be noticeable. I think we'd be happier. We'd be less moved by bad news or by economic downturns. We would find ourselves praying differently. It would be noticeable. So can we begin to see that Jesus isn't giving us a template of the kind of prayer that God prefers, a, a new pillar, Uh, that he would be pleased and bless us accordingly if we did it. No, he's making the same point that he's made throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We should be merciful. We should be caring. We should not divorce. We should love our spouses. We should follow and trust and believe and worship. And we should uh, not be hateful or bitter, or or we should not gossip. We should desire, uh, we we shouldn't desire for human glory. Um, We shouldn't exaggerate or lie, all of those things, but we won't. In a sense, we can't least not on our own, not on our own. We need to access power from God to be more dependent upon Jesus. Christianity is not about becoming more like Jesus, first and foremost. It's becoming dependent upon Jesus. Those are two different paths. See, it's not about doing right in order to please him. We already are pleasing to him. He purchased that for us 2,000 years ago, and his spirit inside our inner being is making us feel that pleasure more and more, and that is motivating us to be loved and to love others. A little bit. We're becoming expressions of a new creature, his spirit, and a new heart. Same metaphor. We want to, a little or a lot, do these things more than before. We would, a little or a lot, begin to trust God's provision a little more, Uh, we might just even dance more. All right, now Jesus is going to have some fun. Forgive us, he says, to the same degree that we forgive others. God, help us. No, please, God, do not answer this prayer. I'm begging you. We'll all perish. I wonder if he goes way over the top here, holding both arms skyward and speaking mockingly in a religious body language, you know, using the these and thous and mocking religious zealots who probably have prayed this prayer. I think he's mocking somebody, right? And it's the religious zealots who can't forgive the people on the hillside or the fruit of that. They can't forgive the people on the hillside. And the religious zealots may stand in the synagogue and say something like, Oh, Lord, thou seest how I forgive at such great cost to me and my family. I forgive my enemies and those who are indebted to me so much. And so may thouest also forgives me in the same wayest. 
right? I, I think the I think the crowd was laughing hilariously. No, we don't want God to answer that prayer. God, I need you to forgive me far, far more than I forgive others. I hold grudges. God, please don't hold grudges against me. I pull away from people who hurt me. God, please don't pull away. I can be passive aggressive. God, please, I do not ever want you to be passive aggressive to me. Forgive me, Father, far beyond my practice. You know, we have no idea what forgiveness looks like or really costs. And if we did, our hearts would betray us and spew out hatred and anger and desire for revenge even more. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Whew. What about this one? And again, I think Jesus is pulling out all the stops. This one makes sense, right? Except, and this is a big except, <laughs> when Jesus is speaking, he has just come out of the wilderness where the Spirit had led him to be tempted by Satan. It's the same word. Matthew 4.1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, same Greek word, by the devil. Well, so we can pray this. It makes sense, right? It's probably a smart thing to pray, but God is God, and he can do whatever he wants. Look at what he did to his son. And again, what happened to thy will be done, or your name be hallowed, <laughs> right? It seems to conflict, doesn't it? So I imagine as Jesus is saying this, he's holding out both hands in a sense saying, hey, you don't want what I just went through, so pray, pray really hard, yet even so, look at me. The tempter is not as strong or as powerful as God is compassionate, and he will deliver you from evil. Look at me, though perhaps not without pain and loss and scars and maybe even death. That's right. Remember, as you do right, as I said in the Beatitudes, you're going to be persecuted. It's be painful, not fair, unjust. God is the God of the living, not the dead. So even if you perish, he's got you. So you don't worry about that either. Ask the Spirit for a powerful sense of that confidence in God's care. God has your back. You need the Spirit to really know that in the present moment. So pray. But don't be like the hypocrites to believe that if they are persecuted or when they're persecuted or tempted by the enemy, that God has somehow abandoned them or that they've screwed up or they're unclean or they're being cursed. God will never abandon you. I've paid for that, Jesus says. I ask for a faith and hope, which is also fruit of the Spirit. You won't really trust him until and unless you access the Spirit's power today, the same Spirit that led and empowered Jesus into the wilderness temptation. Don't leave home without it. So you should trust God, pick up the theme, but you won't. You can't. So regularly ask for his power and to begin to, to experience the height and width and length and depth of Christ's love for you, even in the wilderness parts of your life. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. 
I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. Verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, Jesus in Smirk City. None of us forgives. And so... By right, the Father should not forgive us, will not forgive us. Matter of fact, the penalty is death. Somebody's got to pay that penalty, right? You are Jesus. And if you're a Christian, Jesus has already taken care of verse 14 and 15. None of us forgives. We're all guilty. It turns out that our brains work against our forgiving. They are designed by God to protect us from being hurt and feeling injustice. Our brains can't and won't forgive. We just updated the online program Forgiving Path, www.forgivingpath.com, to include um, latest neuroscience and including a short talk, which is so enlightening, I think. I think you'll enjoy it on how your brain deals with hurt, how your brain resists forgiving. And we'll show you a way to bypass your midbrain. Um, and have some new success in forgiving that hurt. Uh, you'll see what we mean. If you haven't been through the path or you haven't been through it in a long time, check it out, www.forgivingpath.com, and use coupon GospelRant, one word, GospelRant, and get a $10 discount. So Jesus is using Jewish rhetoric to make a point. First statement, true, but no one truly forgives. Not perfectly, your midbrain is going to win. No forgiveness until there is justice. No perfect justice until heaven. So you're guilty and condemned. Second statement, true. God's not going to forgive you based upon your success of forgiving or not. He's going to forgive you on the base of justice for that sin based upon Jesus' death that pays for your unforgivable sin, that is, not forgiving others. It's subtle. I give you that. It's Jewish rhetoric. It's it's, uh, irony. It's satire. And the right response to all of these things in the Lord's Prayer is, wait, I can't do that, Jesus. Who can be saved? And I've already messed it up a couple of times. It shuts the door for me unless unless there's another way. And once again, not only are we dependent upon Jesus for love and for an experience of being loved, for an experience of mercy and honor and rescue, but to pay for all of our record, our rap sheet, that should keep us separated from God's favor for eternity. And yet, because of Jesus, we have it. Jesus has come not to teach us how to pray the words. In fact, every line of this prayer should bring us to our knees. Well, then, who can ever expect God's favor? Well, no one except him, and we have been given all of the favor that Jesus earned. So how are we to pray? Oh, my goodness, we're getting it, right? And that's the right question. The first step is to pray for motivation to pray. Back to Bunyan in the first podcast on prayer. God, make me want your hallowness. Make me want your will. Make me to depend upon you. Make me experience justice for things that have been done to me so that my brain will want to forgive. So we ask for this power from 
the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 3, over and over until I begin to feel that I can't not praise God. Make me feel how much you adore me. Make me feel how much I can trust you. Make me feel how big a fan you are of me, all because of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Child psychologist Yuri Bronfenbrenner says this, and I think it's brilliant. Every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. Well, that's God. Holy Spirit, make me feel that God is irrationally crazy about me right now. Then pray, utter some words, and watch what happens, a little or a lot. Is that freeing? In uh, Luther's Galatian commentary preface, and we speak of this in, in both the Take Heart Discipleship Program and the Gospel App Discipleship Programs, Luther describes a posture of prayer. I love this. I, I think it's telling. So sometimes you'll hear us speak about the posture of ground prayer, or POG for short. Um, and you'll see, you'll see why. Listen to what he says, and then we'll, uh, I'm going to invite you to just say it aloud. Just have some fun with it. Um, why not? And here, here's Luther, and again, it's uh, my expressive translation uh, updated. Okay? Here's a helpful image. Wouldn't it be absurd and enormous hubris for the thirsty dry ground to even think about demanding rain from the clouds? Picture the ground holding up its empty, dry, and cracked hands skyward, believing that if it only did it right, held its hands up at 12 and 2 o'clock or 11 and 1 o'clock, or better, waved them up and down frantically in some liturgical exercise, believing that if it only did it right, the clouds would open up in a torrent of life-giving rain. No, hardly. The ground knows its place and humbly can only hold up empty, dry hands to receive the rain that God ordains to fall upon it. And it's the same with righteousness, this, this experience. He means by this experience of uh, my relationship with God. See, there's nothing we can do that moves God to shift his original plan to rain righteousness down upon us. We must get it into our thick heads that we are not able to do anything by our own strength and work to win this heavenly and eternal righteousness. And therefore, we shall never be able to get it unless God himself, by mere imputation, meaning his own choice, his own will, and by his unspeakable gift, gives it to us. <laughs> Isn't that great? So look, listen, the, the power of such a statement comes from two things. First, it reflects the gospel of Christ. As you pray, you're preaching the gospel to your midbrain, and that's a dangerous and powerful thing to do. Paul says that the gospel is the power to believe. Well, believe what? among other things, to actually really begin to believe to the point of experiencing and feeling just how much God adores you right now, that he's your biggest fan. Paul knows that we need the power that comes from God daily to be able to experience the love of Christ that we already have. Check out Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And secondly, the statement reflects a need, my need, your need for the ongoing power of the Spirit in us. All we need is need, and most of the time we don't have that. James says that we don't have because we don't ask, James 4.2. So if you say this statement, you're asking. It's not just a throwaway thing, it's the thing. And because we're aware of the difficulty we have in the area, we've published bookmarks, new statements that you can use to preach the gospel to that unreached people group, your midbrain. Here's one. It's available at gospel-app.com. Just sit back and listen. Uh, maybe this is voicing some of your concerns. God, I'm not feeling honored or cherished, or appreciated right now, or this week for that matter. The measurements that I've been using to tell me how I am doing are measuring me pretty badly. I don't know where I stand with some gazes. I feel dirty. I feel like a failure, like a ghost. 
like someone that others could just do without, an underachiever. I haven't been really happy for a while. I'm not sure what to expect from your eyes either. I've messed up a lot recently. I'm not the son or daughter that you deserve, that I had hoped that I would be. I'm not sure what I think of me either. It's been a long time since I really felt like a person of great value. So, is it true that you measure me better than that? Did Jesus really purchase that for me? I haven't messed it up. That's the gospel. So then make me know that it is so. Make it rain from heaven upon my lifted up, empty and cracked hands. Make me feel that now before I go and do something stupid. Make my eyes look up into yours now, please. Amen. Now, look, I'm not trying to replace one prayer, the Lord's Prayer, with another. Something we can do rote. See, here's the thing. Just say this twice a day until you begin to feel a little more empowered by the Spirit. You're asking the Spirit. It's a make-me prayer, we call them at Gospel App. Make me feel more the height, the width, the length, and depth of the love of Jesus. By the way, you can can say the Psalms aloud a couple of day. I mentioned that in the first podcast on prayer. Personalize them. And then see if there's any change. You begin to feel a little bit differently about your chats with God. The Lord's Prayer can be used, a powerful tool, but but use it, I think, the way Jesus meant it. And this is kind of how that looks. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, I really should, ah, man, I should feel your fatherness, but I'm feeling a bit disconnected. I'm feeling a little ashamed. Make me feel it. And I should want to hallow your name, but I can't seem to ah, shrink that brain cancer of wanting my own hallowness. I can't seem to stop it. I won't. Um, You know, I want to feel good about me, and I want to be seen as good by you and others. Holy Spirit, make me want your hallowness. I can't seem to do it on my own. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I should want your will to be done, but honestly, I want my will to be done. Holy Spirit, I need your power on this one too. I can't do it on my own. Give us this day our daily bread. Holy Spirit, again, I can't trust God to provide. I'm afraid. My brain wants control. Forgive our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. God, please, don't give me this one. Holy Spirit, uh, uh-uh, make me feel forgiven. And I can't seem to do that either. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, my goodness. I am a coward. I don't want my faith tested. I'm afraid I will fail. So, Holy Spirit, make me trust you uh, when temptation comes. Are you with me? This is probably a good way of using the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever heard that before? Isn't that a more uh, real-life way of seeing, becoming aware of how much I need power, His power? See, I'm not praying the Lord's Prayer to get power. I'm praying because I've experienced the power of God through the Holy Spirit by faith a little, uh, and and feel a little bit the height and width and length and depth of the love of Jesus towards me and others, Ephesians 3. And prayer is best seen as a fruit of that, right? not the source of that. It's, it's, a, it's a different way of seeing it. Um, you know, there is a first prayer, I think, so to speak. Ask the Spirit to make you really get what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, today, tomorrow, and the next. So simple, a child could do it. But you will need to do this, this asking for the Spirit's power regularly, depending upon him until you die, right? And the biggest of all prayers, not my will, but thy will be done from Jesus, I think it's doing the exact same thing. If we make that the Lord's Prayer and we start promoting that as the Lord's Prayer, I think it will expose our motives more. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to say that and really mean it. Are you with me? Same thing with the Lord's Prayer. 
All right, that's all for this mini podcast series on prayer within a larger podcast series on the Sermon on the Mount. I hope it's making sense. Please push back. Bill at gospel-app.com. I want to make sure that I've been clear. Um, and and I remember I said I'm not going to specifically cover the next three verses, Matthew 6, 16 to 18 on fasting, because it's repeating what I said about almsgiving and prayer. So check it out yourselves. You got this. And so we're going to start with Matthew 6, 20 on treasures in heaven. And boy, have we screwed that one up too. Thanks again to lifeaudio.com. Check out the other podcasts at their site. And remember our seven-part Christmas series that's been that's released on Saturdays between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve. It's fun. Parents of teens and tweens, check out Good Enough Parent, goodenoughparent.online. It's free. Remember, F-R-E-E, no charge. It's funded. You can donate if you want, but it is absolutely free. You'll be so glad you did. Here's an idea. Tell some struggling parent you know, which is all of them, about it. No better Christmas gift. Think of it as a stocking stuffer that doesn't cost you anything. All right? We'll see you in the next podcast. Take heart, child of God. Well, the physician comes in and says, tells this lovely couple, hey, your son's not going to make it. But there's a young girl here in the hospital who just delivered a baby girl and she's given her up. She's going to leave her here. Do you want her instead? That was chart topper Ryan Stevenson sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear artists, songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell their stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.